listening to Nathan Out Loud. I'm your host, Nathan Trainer. Thank you for listening to Nathan Out Loud. You can follow this podcast on my website, NathanOutloud.com. You can also find me on Twitter at NathanOutloud, and please email your comments and suggestions to me at comments at NathanOutloud.com. On this episode of Nathan Out Loud, I have an interview with filmmaker Daniel Carslake. Daniel Carslake is an award-winning American film director and producer. His last film, For the Bible Tells Me So, premiered in competition at the 2007 Sundance Film Festival and won the Catherine Bryan Edwards Prize for Human Rights at the 2007 Full Frame Documentary Film Festival. The film also won nine Best Documentary Audience Awards at prestigious festivals across the country, and it was on a short list for a 2008 Academy Award. Sir Ian McKellen recently introduced the film at its UK premiere in London, and it is currently rolling out internationally. Prior to his work on the film, Carslake created award-winning, long-form segments for the highly acclaimed news magazine, In the Life, which airs nationally in over 120 markets on PBS. His work for the show was singled out by many organizations, including the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. Carslake is also the founder of DK Works, a New York-based production company dedicated to creating high-quality, thought-provoking theater, television, and movies that change the world. He was recently represented on Broadway by Baz Luhrmann's Tony Award-winning production of Puccini's La Boheme and the innovative Broadway revival of Big River, which also won two Tony Awards. And now, my interview with Daniel Carslake. Thank you, Dan, for joining me today on Nathan Out Loud. We'll get to For the Bible Tells Me So in just a minute. Uh, But first, I'd like to hear a little bit about your coming out story. Uh, What part of your journey in coming out was most memorable to you? Um, Let's see. Well, I grew up in uh, central Pennsylvania, and I really didn't come out, uh, even to myself, really, until I was an undergraduate at Duke University of North Carolina. And um, that really happened... um, mostly because of my faith at that point, strange as it may sound. I uh, grew up the son of two uh, relatively religious Protestants. We moved a lot, so um, whenever we got to a new town, my parents' first sort of chore was to find a new church, but they weren't Lutheran or Methodist or Presbyterian. They were Protestants, so they really tried all of those churches. And we'd eventually choose one and attend that one. Well, when I got to Duke, I had this sort of ritual of going to church so deeply ingrained in me that I became a chapel usher almost immediately, and I was in church every Sunday while an undergrad. And as I started to realize myself that I was gay, I spent a lot of time um, sitting in a pew in the chapel at Duke, just kind of having my own kind of uh, conversation with God about, you know, how could this be? You know, I can't possibly be gay. My father was a very conservative Republican who even supported Jesse Helms at that time, who was, most people know now, was a very anti-gay, probably the most anti-gay senator there was, and he was from North Carolina. Um, But my time sort of praying and in meditation about that in the chapel really told me instead uh, instead of trying to avoid who I was or trying to deny who I was that God had made me a very specific way and that was gay and I needed to honor that and to not honor that 
was a great sacrilege. Uh, so that's really what drove my coming out to my parents. Uh, and I ultimately did, I think, in the fall of my senior year of college. Uh, I came out to my mom first. I was very rough. Uh, she was incredibly concerned, especially about what my father would say. And then a couple of days later, we were all together, and I came out to my father, and he, uh, he as expected, had a very difficult time uh, with it and did for months uh, after that. I, uh, I went immediately after I graduated from Duke in North Carolina to Los Angeles to go to graduate school at the University of Southern California. And I remember being uh, in Los Angeles uh, that fall, of 1987, uh, I would come home. I remember coming home late one night, and I had uh, an answer of voicemail message on my answering machine. Uh, it was my father reading uh, Romans chapter 2, reading the Bible to me, which I thought was really ironic, actually, because my parents had sort of completely stopped any sort of religious uh, involvement as soon as their kids went to college. And I had continued, but they had not. So I just thought it was interesting my father was grabbing the Bible now. Uh, so he left this sort of very negative Bible message on my home machine, and I picked up the phone. It was probably midnight in California, so it's 3 a.m. in Pennsylvania. I called my father and just said, listen, you know, it's hard enough for me to get used to the fact that this is who I am and this is how I was made, so I don't really need my father making it even more difficult so until you can be a little more civil um, we don't need to talk and as much as that as hard as that is for me because I love you and mom I just can't I, I can't come home to Bible verses on my machine uh, and I hung up the phone a couple hours later probably 2 a.m. my time 5 a.m. his time he called back and said okay I get it you're right we, uh, we're going to try to work on this and we're going to try to get to the other side of it Matt that for me is the, uh, I mean, to make a long story a little bit shorter, that's the most memorable thing about coming out with when my father made that switch. And really within only a few months after that, they had realized that indeed this is who God made me to be and who were they to try to change that. Wow, that's, yeah, that's incredibly moving. Did you have other brothers and sisters? Yep, I have an older brother and an older sister. Uh, they, of course, you know, as soon as I did come out to them, were like, yeah, and. <laughs> <laughs> kind so, of like my brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a pretty common experience. My parents were stunned, although now when I go home, they still live in the same house. I go home and I go up to my room, and I look at my room, and I'm like, how did you not know I was gay? My room is painted Kelly green. Um, you know, I collected, I was a child actor, so I made some money when I was little, and mm-hmm. I decided to invest all of my money in Hummel figurines, <laughs> those little German porcelain figurines that yes. at that point were really appreciating like 20, 25% a year. So it was a really good investment, but my whole, my childhood room is covered. The walls are all covered with Hummels. I have more than a hundred of them. Wow. And, like, they thought that was a straight boys' room. Like, I don't understand. But anyway, yeah. you know, yeah. my brother and sister were certainly clued in long before I was. <laughs> I think that's how it is a lot of times. You know, we, you, with whether it be family or friends, you know, that kind of make uh, comments and kind of help us along the journey, you know, and kind of coming to realize uh you know what it actually is that kind of makes us different so uh yep. that's 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 great so 
Well, um, talking about For the Bible Tells Me So, it sounds like your religious experience, you know, growing up in a, in a rather religious family and, and that, um, probably was one of the main factors for, uh, deciding to do the movie. Um, but I also read, uh, in Mitchell Gold's book that you contributed to Crisis, um, an email that you got from a, a kid in Iowa in 1998. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that was hugely pivotal um, for so many reasons. I was producing for a television show on PBS called In the Life, which is a national news magazine about gay and lesbian issues. It's been on for quite a while now. And, and at that point, it was the only thing on television that had anything even remotely to do with um, the lives of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people. So, you know, it was before Logo, it was before Here TV, it was before so much. So it was it was really the only source that gay people had, and really um, non-gay people had, to learn about the lives of everyday uh, gay and lesbian people. So I, the first, very first story I produced for In the Life, actually, was about a uh, lesbian, uh, African-American lesbian from Harvard named Irene Monroe, uh, and the fact that she was in the divinity school there, because again, I was fascinated by the fact that we never saw people of faith who were also gay. If we ever saw gay people on TV, they either completely denied faith or, or any kind of spiritual life, or they were like villains or whatever it was back then. But mm-hmm. I, I had read about this woman who was this amazing street theologian, um, but she was also this openly lesbian woman at Harvard who lived with her partner. So I did this very, very simple profile on her and her partner that aired on In the Life. It was probably 10 minutes long. There was nothing particularly special about it, except that it was about her faith and her life as a theologian and also her life at home with, oh, her, you know, her lesbian girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, the day after that aired across the country, I went into In the Life and I turned on my computer and I went to my email uh, and had probably 60 or 70 messages from people who had seen the piece the night before, which was normal. But the very first email I opened that day um, is the email that I referenced in Crisis and the one that you mentioned uh, that really just changed everything for me. It was from a teenage boy in Iowa, uh, and it was five lines. It said, last week I bought the gun. Yesterday I wrote the note. Last night I happened to see your show on PBS, and just knowing that someday, somewhere, I might be able to go back into a church with my head held high I dropped the gun in the river. My mom never has to know. Wow. And I was, I was so stunned by that. I mean, in a way that I can't even explain to this day. I mean, it still sort of chokes me up, actually. Um, I just couldn't imagine that this young boy had miraculously happened upon the show on television, had watched this very simple piece about this woman at Harvard and decided that he wasn't going to kill himself because he was gay. You know, I knew intellectually that there were thousands, tens of thousands of young gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people who were considering or succeeding at taking their lives because of their sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. But I also found that so counter everything I knew, at least about Christianity, and the idea that someone like Jesus, whether you believe Jesus was a real person a myth or just a prophet at the time, who a lot of that a lot of people think, there's no way that this person who Christianity is named for, there's no way that person would ever want 
anyone to take their lives because of how they are made. Mm-hmm. So the fact that this young boy saw this program, this simple thing about this woman who both was a Christian and was gay, and it saved his life, made me decide that I was going to do everything I possibly could, both at In the Life and beyond, to make media and put media stories out there of, um, that say that it's that faith and sexual orientation are not mutually exclusive, that it's your choice. Whether you, whatever you believe in, but you don't have to not believe in God or a greater being or whatever your belief system is because you are gay. So that, you know, I became kind of the religion producer at In the Life because I, I virtually, I don't think I did, I did maybe one story that didn't have to do with religion after that. And then in 2003, I really felt like I wanted to find an even bigger audience. So I, I left my job at In the Life, and I um, started making For the Bible Tells Me So. Yeah, and in For the Bible Tells Me So, you follow five Christian families that uh, kind of document their journeys uh, and coming to terms with having a gay family member. Uh, did you find that each of those families had more in common or more differences uh, you know, in what they experienced and continue to experience? I, you know, I think a little of both, but mostly I was really struck at how, what a common experience it is and how I think if people would talk, talk about it more, they would realize how similar we really all are. I mean, they're, they're, as you said, they're five stories. They're very wide ranging. There's a story of a family in Kentucky, Disciples of Christ, um, very devout conservative Christians. There's a woman who comes from one of the most conservative Christian sects in the country from Arkansas, whose daughter came out. There's um, someone who you would perceive as being very liberal, uh, Dick Gephardt and his wife, Jane Gephardt. Dick mm-hmm. Gephardt, of course, being a longtime congressman from Missouri, Democrat. But when his daughter, Chrissy, came out, he had that same, you know, negative response that so many parents have immediately. Mostly for Dick, it was about, oh, my God, Chrissy could be killed for this. Mm-hmm. could be discriminated against, which, of course, is widely true in this country still. Um, there's a black family from North Carolina. Both parents, the mother and father, are charismatic preachers in a very conservative Christian part of um, the country. Uh, when their daughter, Tonya, came out, they were horrified. And an evangelical Lutheran uh, family, Caucasian family in Minnesota, who also very initially had that same response. Mm-hmm. And as you follow each family, you see how stories can then change. I mean, one ends incredibly tragically. Another one, the, the amazing family from Kentucky, the two disciples of Christ Christians, end up having their son ends up being um, not only an Episcopal priest, but he becomes the first openly gay uh, bishop in the history of Christianity. His name's Gene Robinson. He's from North uh, New Hampshire. And so they go from totally being in denial and hiding it and not telling their friends and not saying a word and not saying anything about why Gene had to divorce his wife and all that to being there at his consecration, which was televised internationally because, again, he's the first openly gay bishop, not only in the Episcopal Church or the Worldwide Anglican Communion. There is no other openly gay bishop, period, in all of Christianity and all the denominations. Wow. So he's a very big deal, and it's, I think it's pretty fascinating to see what the... It, it's really a family film. I mean, if there's ever a film about family values, it's this film, and it's about the, you know, 
the power of people's love to overcome even dogma that they've been taught. Because what the other thing that the film does is it looks very clearly and bluntly at the verses in the Bible that supposedly condemn gay and lesbian people. And it has, we have amazing theologians, um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Peter Gums from Harvard, people, a couple rabbis, people from all over the world really talk about what these passages really mean. So it's not just about, you know, family love can overcome what the Bible says. It's actually about, you know what, we need to look again at the Bible. Because first of all, the Bible really doesn't say what we've been told. And let's look at these family stories and realize that the parents really get what the Bible's core mission is about, and that is about love and embrace. So it's kind of a t twin um, point to the movie, and I really, I really wanted to open up the Bible in a very clear way so people weren't left walking out of the theater going, well, it's very nice that the parents, you know, and all of the parents don't fully embrace their kids, but mostly they come around in some way. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, there's the Bible, you know, the Bible condemns. Well, the Bible does not condemn gay and lesbian people as we know them today. There was no way for them to even understand homosexuality as we know it today back then. So that was sort of the dual purpose of the movie. And honestly, I've been completely, completely overcome and shocked at how far and wide my film has been seen and how so many particularly conservative people have seen it, and it's really opened opened them up to another way of thinking. I never would have, I mean, I hoped that would work. I hoped that would happen. Mostly, I wanted to keep kids from killing themselves based on the Bible. I mm -hmm. them to at least walk away going, you know, God doesn't hate me. God loves me and made me this way. But even past that, I, I've gotten tens of thousands of emails from people all over the world. I just got one from the Sudan. I got an email a couple days ago from a woman in China and a guy from Peru who are now seeing the movie and saying to me, you know, I really feel like I can live, be who I am based on this film because if those parents can turn around and embrace their kids, then I can at least do that for myself. Wow, yeah. And I know that, um, you know, there have been several uh, churches and, uh, you know, different denominations that have actually had, uh, you know, movie, movie viewing series, you know, kind of educational series where they invite the community into to view the movie and then have discussions. Um, have, I'm sure you participated in some of those. Um, how how do you how did you know you mentioned kind of how the audience has from what you've seen, um, accepted the movie, but what do you feel is the biggest hang-up still um, in terms of people really accepting what the theologians say and also what the individual stories uh, are telling? Well, you're right. The movie has now screened in more than 2,000 churches, which is also just completely blows me away. And honestly, I, when I've, I, and I've, been to, I've been to at least a couple hundred of those. Wow. Um, when people see the film who have a more conservative view of homosexuality, um, by the end of the film, the way, the only way I can really describe it is they seem undone. They seem sort of like, oh my God, like they don't know what to think of, of what they've just seen and they don't know what to think of what they've believed. I think mm -hmm. if, if they, if they hesitate at all, and honestly, I have never once been challenged by anyone who has seen the film live. I thought 
okay, I'm going to start traveling with this movie, and there are going to be people in this audience who come to attack it. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's very threatening to people who think they they know and understand the Bible on this issue. So I'm totally ready for this. You know, let's go. Let them attack me. I, let's have the conversation because I wanted this movie, if anything, most most importantly, I wanted it to engender conversation. So I was excited for those Q&As. But every single place I've gone, when a conservative Christian sees this film and they identify themselves, they say something like, first, I'll never forget, one of the first times the movie screened, a woman stood up at the back of the theater and said, first of all, I'm a born-again Christian. And I thought, okay, here we go. And I said, uh-huh. And she said, and I just want to remind, I just want to thank you for reminding the world about the real message of Jesus. And she sat down. Wow. I had another guy in North Carolina at a college screening come, in the, sitting in the very front row. The movie ended. I got up, said, okay, who's got a question? He raised his hand. He stood up. He was like 6'6". Six, six. He was probably 70 years old. He was missing teeth. Um, and he said, you know, I wanted to see this film because I was sure it was just liberal propaganda for the fags. And, you know, I brought this legal pad. He's waving this legal pad at me. I brought this legal pad to take notes about everything I disagreed with in this movie. And then he sort of stopped. And he looked like he was almost going to start crying. And he said, but when you watch this movie, you realize that it's just all about love. And if you believe God's word, it's also about love. So I'm just going to tell everyone I know to see it. And he sat down and cried through the entire rest of the Q&A. And something like that has happened at every, at least once, at every single screening I've been to. Because a lot of people do come to this movie assuming that it's going to be bashing Christians, Mm -hmm. assuming that it's going to be belittling the Bible, and it's about Christians, and it's opening up the Bible and having the discussion. So honestly, the only negative feedback I've ever gotten about this movie, and it's been serious and incredibly severe and and often life threatening sort of mm-hmm. is emails I've gotten through the website from people who haven't seen the movie because mm-hmm. I can always tell because they yep. have no idea what they're talking about it's it's so not the movie that conservatives think it's going to be it's a it's a family it's a family values movie so my response always is gosh it appears that you haven't seen the film I hope you'll take a look at the film and then let's talk about it you know, hopefully mm-hmm. yours, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, maybe 50% of them then write back and say, okay, well, that's a good point. I'll give you that. Let me, let me screen it and then I'll be back in touch. Believe yeah. me. And the other 50% get even madder. You know, they sort of become these Disney villains where they break through the roof of the house and go, how dare you? in <laughs> my rag, you know? Yeah. But, you know, we're never going to reach those people. So, right. honestly, way more people are open to a different way of seeing this issue than I ever thought. When I've gone, and I've gone a lot to the markets, to the Bible Belt of the country, whenever at least in the first year and a half or so, whenever I got an invitation to Savannah or Mobile, Alabama or Mississippi or somewhere, I always went because really that's where I, I made the film screen there. Mm-hmm. I want, you know, I didn't make the film to screen in New York and Los Angeles. There are enough people who are on our side already there. I made it for the Midwest, the middle of the country, the red states really. Mm-hmm. So whenever I've gone to the more conservative parts of the country, that is when the movie not only sells out, it sells out so extremely 
that the theater then either schedules another screening of it later that night, puts it in another theater and schedules four more screenings, invites the movie back for a week of screenings. I mean, people in the South in particular are starving to really understand. They understand they've only heard one side of the story. Because now, as more people come out, more people are wanting to know the full picture of this issue. They understand that conservatives who rail against gay people by waving the Bible are really giving only one viewpoint, and they want to hear something else. It, that's been the most striking thing about all this. It never fails. When I go to Savannah, when I go anywhere like that, the movie is vastly more popular. Wow, yeah, and coming from a, a Mormon family, uh, I, I know how uh, you know challenging it can be to, to get people to, um, you know, Except that there could be a different answer. Um, and I definitely think that this movie shines a very bright light on that. So I appreciate, you know, the work that you've done. And I, I, I firsthand have seen, uh, you know, people moved by it. So, um, where can, where can people find the movie, Dan? Well, um, the movie is for sale on DVD on our website. I think it's still the best deal you can get. Our website is for the Bible tells me so dot org. One word for the Bible tells me so dot org. So you can buy it there, but it's also on Netflix and a blockbuster. It's also screening every so often on the Sundance channel across the country. So, um, there are a lot of places. You can also see snippets of it. Much of it actually is on YouTube in little 10 minute pieces. Okay. Um, which is great too. I mean, I, as I made it so people would see it. So any way that people have access to, access to it is great. But Netflix is, um, is you know pretty widely used now, so mm-hmm. most people see it that way. Well, great. Well, you know, again, thank you so much for the work you're doing. Uh, and uh, again, that's for the Bible tells me so dot org. And uh, we look forward to more great work from you, Dan. So thanks again. Great. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for this episode of Nathan Out Loud. Please be sure to check out NathanOutloud.com for the latest updates, as well as check me out on Twitter at Twitter.com slash NathanOutloud. Remember to email your comments and suggestions to comments at NathanOutloud.com, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast at NathanOutloud on iTunes. Remember, everyone, come out, be out, and live out loud. We'll talk to you soon on Nathan Out Loud.